1: Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: You're listening to a Sniffer Nixon production. Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny, where top comedians discuss health and well-being with Harley Street specialist and our host, Dr. Brian Kaplan. Today's guest is Sindhu V. So let's join them in the heart of Harley Street.
0: Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny? Sindhu V.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about
0: this. Tremendous. Um, The way it works is I'm an old-fashioned holistic doctor. So I like to look at things in terms of body, mind, and spirit. So what we'll do is look at each of those areas and invite you to talk about something you feel comfortable about um, talking on in those spheres, I'm not going to push you or interrogate you in any way. Okay. Perfect. So in physical medicine, would you like to talk about any incident where you were the patient with doctors? It could have been an accident. It could have been an illness. It could have been when you were very young. It could have been recent. Anything you like?
3: Uh, yeah, I guess the one I, I mean, I've had so many. Um, but the one I remember is when I was, I played basketball for the university at Oxford. Wow. And, uh, and uh, it was the, our our um, Oxford, it, it was called Town V-Gown, which was kind of unfair mm-hmm. because no one from the town really knew what the game was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and it was a big match and um, I was in the first string. So I was playing and I came down on my knee and like a basketball player will at some point, I got an ACL injury mm-hmm. and I couldn't cruciate,
0: move. Anterior cruciate, anterior cruciate ligament. Injury, yes. Yeah.
3: And uh, I was taken away to the hospital, and I was put in an MRI machine. I had never been around any kind of big hospital scenario that I remembered at that stage. Uh, and I was put in a machine, and then they said, it's going to be fine. You just need to do physiotherapy, which I absolutely did not do, uh, because I was you know, 21 and never listened to anyone. And then I needed <laughs> surgery by the time I got to Chicago four years later. And I went into surgery and I remember that I was in a gown and I had like a shower cap. It wasn't a shower cap, but these kind of, and it was in the United States. And then I'll never forget, this doctor came, the surgeon with a big marker. And he said, right, so which knee is it? And at this point I'd been prepped for hours. I was like, why is this guy asking me? Like he should have it in his notes. And he said, no, it's a final check. And I said, this one. And he put a big circle and a cross. He said, because I don't want to do the wrong knee. I remember thinking, what kind of people are these? I mean, they can't remember the knees, you know. And then I went into surgery, and it was very, very cool. I always, My mother always said that if you get general anesthesia, you could die. She'd always say that. If you have a general, you can die. So it was so scary for me. I thought I might die. But I didn't. Here I am.
0: So back to your knee. This, is, this was an arthroscopy, right? So they yes. were going in with an arthroscope. Yes. yes. Okay.
3: Yes. And I could watch.
0: You watched it, yeah, yes? Yeah, because
3: even though I'm a hypochondriac, I'm also very enthralled by gore oh yes so i'm a terrible <laughs> hypochondriac to have in your surgery because i don't want to know and i think i'm going to die but i want to watch yeah, yeah. so i watched and it was very cool It was all white and gray
0: mm-hmm. and
3: i watched and um, so you
0: saw them going into the knee yeah anyway, you yeah. could yeah, see yeah, them brilliant.
3: and they they there was the meniscus they had to either shave it down or something like that it was very cool i talked the whole time oh yeah which should be surprising to nobody um, but I think it was also a way <laughs> of keeping my fear at bay. And I told jokes the whole time; just kept telling Great. all kinds of jokes. And I think the nurse was like, "Man, the sooner her knee is fixed and she gets out, the better." But it was a way for me to, not to be afraid.
0: So what yes. happened? What happened to your knee? They fixed it, or there?
3: Yeah, yeah, they fixed it, and yeah. then I did physio because you know there's this time you, know, you did the. Physio, I did the yeah. physio, and but I couldn't. But well, I just never went back and played ball again because then I got a job mm-hmm. and so on. But yeah, and you... I I remember my mother came.
0: With you, yeah.
3: No, after. Yeah. Because, oh, the best thing about it was they gave you all this medication to take home. And my yeah. two girlfriends and I, my roommate, my flatmates, we I was so high for so long. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: my gosh. <laughs> it was <laughs> great. I watched so many movies. I don't
3: know what was going on. It was fantastic.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, the, the, the analgesics. Afterwards. Oh, my God. Yeah. They were so great. So great.
3: And in, and in America, they will give you stuff like this I was in New York just a few years ago and I had back pain and, and I had to see a private doctor he went straight from oh you have a pain in your back to here's some Vicodin mm. and
1: wow.
3: you know I've watched House I know how yeah. that Vicodin stuff yeah. works and yeah. I'm also got I think it's kind of very borderline addictive personality it's highly addictive I was yeah. like if I take Vicodin this is the kids are going to end up in an orphanage God so I didn't take it but it, he didn't ask me anything he just said here's some Vicodin yeah plus House yeah. makes Vicodin seem so sexy <laughs> he really does yeah, yeah, he does. Hugh Laurie makes Vicodin seem so sexy. What can I say? Any
0: other physical uh, ex- uh, experiences? Well,
3: I've had three children, yes, and I think yes. of all the physical experiences one can have, that's uh, very special. Although the doctrine all are not really important then, because you're just having this baby. But I never wanted the natural birth. All that. I was mm-hmm. like, please give me some drugs. Mm-hmm. I just want to have this. I don't want to be in any. I, I don't want to be in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have cesareans because I think they're better for certain parts of your body. But the doctor was like, no, you're healthy. This baby's coming normally. Um, It was medical. But what was interesting to me about having children and wanting it to be very medical is how much in the background that becomes. There is something about having a child that your body and your mind are like, it's just me, my body, and this kid. You don't really care about anyone else. I wanted epidurals every time. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Um, And the third time, you know, third child, she almost fell out. I was like, I was saying to my husband, I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm, then I'm like, this baby's coming. So by the time we got to the hospital, they said that the uh, anesthetist slash anesthesiologist um, may not get there in time to give me the epidural. I was like, I'm going to hold this baby in. I'm not having her without an epidural. I mm. really want an epidural. So I got a little one. Mm-hmm. And then she, she came out. I think that's a very special medical experience. I will never understand people who say, no, I want to sit in my hot bath and have a child. I just, I'm like, oh my God, no, thank you.
0: I was, I mean, it was obstetrics that got me interested in natural medicine when I read Frederick LeBoyer's book, Birth Without Violence. Um, but I came to the conclusion the ideal way to have a baby would be in a bedroom with an operating theater and doctors next Next door. Next to you, exactly.
3: I mean, at the end of the day, in this day and age, I mean, there is a reason why in my grandmother's time when there were no doctors, so many women died or the babies died. Of course, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's a time when it could happen and you could lose a lot of blood and then it's bad. And my in-laws are both medical doctors and they were trained in the 60s. So, you know, they don't buy this natural birth stuff
1: at all, <laughs>
3: at all. But they're Danes, yeah. and so they don't think it's a very medical procedure. Mm. They just think you need to be in a hospital in case. The, so.
0: the case for it, I suppose, that Leboye makes and Michelle O'Don um, for the natural birth is that if it's all going well, one should be sensitive to the feelings of the baby just because a baby is not hasn't got verbal capacity doesn't mean it can't feel everything including the atmosphere in the room and the fear and the anxiety and everything that was his point really yeah. of looking after the baby in that no, uh, and I, in that normal situation
3: and i agree with that i think that i um, when i was very young i was about 8 years old my grandmother visited us in the i lived in the philippines from india and she had a stroke and she was in the hospital and Every day, my mother lived with her. My mother lived with her 24 hours, but for two hours in the evening, she would get a break and my father would drive us to the hospital. My sister's five years older than me, so she would have been, whatever, 13. And he would drop my sister and me to the hospital and he would take my mother home. She'd have a shower. She would change. Now, I was six years younger than my sister and my sister was very close to my grandmother and most important, my my sisters always thought I'm very stupid. So she would say, get out, get out, go do something. This was in the late 70s. So it, there was there was no supervision so as a child i used to go up to where the babies were kept and there was a whole section of babies that were not well and i was fascinated by it. you could look in you could look in through the glass and then there was a whole section of babies that were well but they were all wrapped in the same white thing in these plastic boxes. And I remember as a child thinking, what if you took the wrong baby home, right? Because... Happened.
0: <laughs>
2: and
3: I happened. And it was terrible as a child. I used to think no one will take the wrong baby who's not okay home because they had very severe physical mm. problems, which for a child is a terrible thing to think. But I was like, I got to spend two hours with these babies. I got to make some games up. So I did. And I think now to when I've had children they're not all lined up like that in these plastic boxes you know you're very much with the mother and they're next to you and that wasn't happening in the late 70s so i appreciate the idea that babies are also people
0: and um, what age did you leave uh, delhi what age were that was that uh,
3: so i was born in in delhi i left delhi at 5, five and five. i lived in the philippines till about 11
0: and did you did your uh, the reason i ask is that i'm interested to know if your family was interested in any other form of medicine such as ayurvedic medicine or homeopathy which is really big in india
3: yeah so my parents my father especially is very anti what he calls allopathic western medicine right. uh, except in severe instances so obviously it's not like you know it's not like those i think there's some people who like the amish they're like you can yeah. die but we're not giving you penicillin not yeah. not like that but on a daily basis so i never had any form of allopathic medicine in my childhood
0: yeah allopathic Medicine is a specific word used by homeopathy. I suspect your father liked homeopathy because it is a specific word made up by homeopathic doctors. Yeah. Homeopathic is using the same like treating, like yes. an allopathic is using the opposite. So yes. the only homeopaths use this word allopathic, yes. right? Yes.
3: And my father had this view that Western medicine is very preventive, mm-hmm. uh, is very uh, cure based, whereas Indian or, hom- or Ayurveda homeopathy is very preventive. Yes. He also used to do something which we have in India where he would use these medicines called Caliphos.
0: Yeah, those are tissue salts. Biochemic, <laughs> biochemical medicines. They're related right? to homeopathy, I they're called tissue salts. So Just we used to use have a
3: big box cells. of that, yeah. and I would say, I chew. And yeah. my father would say, Oh. And he'd open this box, and, they'd be, and, they, and the pills yeah. tasted great. They were little sweet Little pills. white, crumbly yeah. tablets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would say, oh, Okay, so two into mm-hmm. Caliphos, into neutrophoss. And go. I mean, when you're a kid, you're like, Just give me the medicine. You yeah. Know? I never had cup syrup, we never had any of that. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, I think that was very good, because it, you know, it just meant that we had our bodies had to do more work. We ate better because there was a number of foods you could. If you had a cough, you couldn't eat a banana. Mm-hmm. Which in the Western <laughs> world, when I and I, of course, when I had kids, I was like, "You have a cough, you can't eat a banana." And my husband, who's Danish, was like, "Are you having a stroke? Why can't eat a banana?" And I'd be like, "You can't eat a banana when you have a cough." It's
1: traditional. It's just, in, you know,
3: and all of a sudden, I went right back. To my, I mean, as much as I enjoyed being high on Vicodin when I had knee surgery, <laughs> when I had my children, I went right back to that. So, my son was born with eczema, and um, my first response was home, uh, homeopathy. I mean, they started giving me high like, steroids. Yeah. I was like, no way. He was on that for six years, and it didn't help. It didn't help. His, his eczema got bad. He was very had severe allergies. And my father kept saying, oh, just move him to India. I'm like, dude, we live in, I can't take him out of school and move him to Kerala
2: for two years, you know. <laughs> and
3: also, I think as, as that was increasing, my husband, who is the product of two Western doctors from the 60s, was like, oh, my God, she's crazy. And why did I marry her? This kid should just get on hydrocortisol or whatever it's called. It was a big back and forth. Finally, it didn't work. And so he started seeing a, a, a regular pediatric dermatologist kind of person. Things got better. He then uh, did immunotherapy, mm. which is these drops of mm-hmm. like trees and dust mite and all under your tongue, which was still more natural, mm-hmm. but comes from a what you call orthodox medicine Desensitization background. Desensitization yeah. When my children were young and I wanted to put them on, homeopathy or Ayurveda, the opinion of my in-laws, who I, I love dearly, but are trained in Western medicine at a time when it was literally mm. saving lives, was that's a hoax. Mm. And that's as wrong as people who put you on homeopathy and then your ear falls off, then your leg falls off and they don't stop. If it's
0: a hoax, if homeopathy is a hoax, it is the, great, the most successful hoax in the history of the universe. In India there are three hundred and fifty thousand licensed homeopathic practitioners who've had a five year training or five and a half year training.
3: No, and I have, I am a product of mm. I mean I have I use Ayurveda and homeopathy regularly. Right. I rinse my mouth with coconut oil every morning my whole life. Now people said to me, Oh, you look ten years younger than you are. Yeah, well, and of course, my husband's like, don't shout at them and say, it's the coconut oil, no one understands. <laughs> but the fact is, lo- I'll tell you what's difficult about Ayurveda and homeopathy. Yeah. It's difficult. It's not one pill you get to take when you feel like it doesn't instantly feel good. Correct. It's a very long term, you build it into your life. It's a bit like these days, what people say about running or exercise 20 minutes a day. If you did... 20 minutes of preventive homeopathy in or Ayurveda a day from the time you were young, you'd be in great shape.
2: Hi there. Sorry. I know I'm definitely not as interesting, but just two seconds of your time. We're the company that make this show Snipper Nixon. We do podcasts, we develop scripts and much more. If you want to know more about us, find us at snippernixon.com. Oh, oh, and if you are enjoying the show, please comment, tell a friend, subscribe or send a carrier pigeon. We'll be back after
4: these messages.
2: Now, straight back to Harley Street with Dr. Brian Kaplan and Sindhu V.
0: Let's move on now from the physical to the psychological. So this is about any contact you've had with psychotherapists, psychoanalysts, coaches, psychologists, motivators, anyone that operates in the psychological sphere.
3: Oh, my God. Ah, uh, Wow. My mother did a psychology degree, mm. and so did my elder sister. Mm-hmm. My mother is a psychotherapist. She trained in the U.S. in addictions therapy. She started one of the first and probably the most successful non-profit drug and alcohol rehabs in India, which she ran out of the back of our house when I was a teenager. So there was a lot of shaky addicts who'd just come out of detox running around our backyard for years. Um, it, it taught me about addiction, and it taught me about... Very early, before anyone was talking about it, I was already growing up in an env- in an environment of being deeply compassionate about addiction. And especially in India, that was unheard of, because if you're an addict, they put you in a mental hospital, mm-hmm. or you were just a bad person. It there was a, it was a huge, huge amount of morality. Um, so that was early on. Um, and then my mother was sort of one of those people that, when she was doing psychology and... I remember coming home from school and I must have been in the third grade or even second grade. It was an American school and I came home and everything in those days in, in our in our house was very 70s. My mother bought a wig. She wore a wig for a while and she had these maxi dresses and they had these trolleys of drinks they would take around. I don't know what was going on there. Anyway, I came home and my mother said, this is my friend Garda Kohler. I'll never forget. This is my friend Garda Kohler. She's German. She's going to do your IQ test. Go. So... There was like a German lady with short hair and clogs. We went and we did an IQ test and no one told me why. No, All I know is the next day my mother said, Belgarda told me you're not so stupid as I thought. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's good. So we were always, mommy was always doing this kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. And then I grew up and I I had been exposed to so much therapy willy-nilly.
0: What, you mean like psychobabble babble? But it wasn't really psychobabble. I mean,
3: we had addicts. Okay.
0: You saw it. Yeah. Well, I mm. saw
3: it. The group was held in our house. I, My mother has had a nap every day of her life and ev- definitely every day of my life. I used to get home from university at about 1 o'clock and she would say, I'm going for my nap. Go and sit in the group because some of the addicts want to run away and they can't. So you go and sit there, <laughs> then they won't.
0: <laughs> Police the group. And
3: <laughs> I had never... I didn't know what was going on and I was like well you didn't argue with my mother so I would go and sit in group and there would be would be about 10 people the first time I did I didn't know who these people were it, I really had no idea my father worked in the government so you'll appreciate in delhi we had large houses we had a lot of people in and out of the house that were not our family someone you know it's from the it's sort of the, the government set up old fashioned um and so I would sit there and I had to sit there for for one hour cuz mommy napped for an hour and I remember they knew I was her daughter, but some of them were crying. they just come out of detox. And it was a 28-day American, very American-based, AA-based program. It was
0: 12-step, yeah. And very 12-step, much so.
3: Yeah. And so there was that. One of them, I remember, he was so angry that I, would, I remember saying to mommy, I'm very scared of I won't tell you his name. I'm very scared of him. Let's call him Tom. I'm very scared of Tom. And she said, well, you should be. Don't sit next to him. He will bite you. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. So when, you're, when you grow up with that,
4: Yeah, yeah, great.
3: And my mother would have arguments sometimes because the group had to end by the time my dad got home from work. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he really encouraged my mother, but he was not about to be sharing his home with, you know, and my father's views on addiction were more conservative. But I remember my mother saying to him gently as she could that. They need love. They need love. So when you're young, even though you don't really know what's going on, you keep hearing about that. You start to learn very early that people have complicated in our lives and that there's nothing, nothing that requires shame. Hmm. And you see these people crying and you see some of them leaving. You see some of them lying in the garden, wailing. While you're trying to do your homework, you're like, okay. But what happens is it's all gen, it's every day, every Mm. day. And then my mother, when I was 20, went to the United States for a year for residential training. And it was the summer holidays, and she didn't want me to be by myself in Delhi because she thought I had a boyfriend, which frankly, I did. But I, it (laughs) wasn't. When was this?
0: You left at six? When was this? This uh, was
3: back in Delhi. I'm 20 years old at this point. Yes, okay. She didn't want me to have boyfriend because so it was an arranged marriage. It's a complicated story, but her the upshot of this story is she told my father she can't be alone in Delhi. You'll mm-hmm. be at work. Send her here. So I went all the way to Philadelphia to Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and lived with my mother in a drug and alcohol facility where she was a trainee therapist with nothing to do. So my mother said, "You know what? I will put you in the family group." So I was at group every day in fam- which was for Al-Anon for the. Fa- I didn't have any addictions that I knew of. I didn't have any addicts that I knew of. I'd come from Delhi. So we would go on group and they would look at me and then I would say, hello, I'm Sindhu. I don't... I I was 20. There were people there who would come out of prison. But it was really good for me. It seems to have
0: informed your work a bit as well, the way you talk about family and people.
3: I think what it really informed was I realized that there would always be people who... Felt like I did. I think it takes away loneliness. You know, sometimes when something, when when we have a thought and we Mm. think it's a bad thought, we think it's just us. I realized early on it's never just you. There are other people out there. They feel the same, and it feels better when you meet them. Mm, I went to so many AA and NA meetings with my mother all over Pennsylvania. I mean, I. I kept, now I look back, I think, what was she thinking? We used to go to anime. hello, and I'm an addict. No, I'm not really, but okay, I'll sit here. Okay, fine. And I remember asking her, I remember asking my mother, saying, you know, what were you thinking? And my mother had a very good impression, a very, very good point. She said to me, I always believed that if it didn't, that it would teach you about how to respect feelings. Mm. which is always going to be important because all human beings want love.
0: She sounds like a wonderful person your mother has. Very yeah, wise and warm and quite authoritative maybe.
3: Yes, and a very fixed idea about what's what. But yes, I think you know I will I can never thank my mother enough for exposing me not on purpose sort of as a byproduct of what she was doing to that kind of thinking because by the time I came into the real world by the time I was 21 and out on my own, one of the things I always heard from my friends, we were only 21, is you never judge people. Mm. And I don't think that was on purpose. I'd like to, I mean, I, I'm very nasty. I'd love to judge people and have gossip <laughs> and I can still gossip, but I don't really fundamentally judge people mm. because I've seen such a gamut of what human experience is and no one deserves to be judged. And that's not something I'm saying because I'm wise. I grew up into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah. Did you ever... So you had this incredible experience of other people being helped and sitting in with them. Did you ever have anything yourself, like go to a group yourself or have coaching or therapy? Or, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I've been in therapy. done all that as well, yeah.
3: Yeah, oh gosh. I've been in therapy from the get-go. Uh, <laughs> partly because it for me th- therapy was not something that you... I. I Well, I I wasn't in therapy the whole time. I, after I left India, I wasn't in therapy. Obviously, I was busy studying this, that. But there comes a time in your life when you think, what's going on with me? Why am I making these poor choices? And you can't tell your mother because all the poor choices are around men. <laughs> so you're like, oh, what should I do? So your go-to place, you're thinking, you, you think, I'll go talk to someone. Yeah. There was no shame. There was no taboo around it. In India, it's very, very taboo. So mm. for me, it was not a big deal. And then it's something you do as an MOT. Mm. Because there's all kinds of therapy out there, you know. Every time I've been in trouble, I'm like, I need to go see somebody. And now I know, and now I'm much better at understanding the difference between me needing cognitive therapy. You know, I've had a, I've had a terrible history of panic attacks and such mm-hmm. things. And so that stress versus, I don't now need to go to therapists and say, oh, how do you feel about your father? Like, I've mm-hmm. done that so much. Got I, it I, got it. I got it. Stuff, yeah, I got yeah. that stuff. Um, stuff like that. And also now I very much see the the link between cognitive techniques, uh, professional coaching, and meditation. I think those three things... And I think now in, that's available in the world as a concept you can read about. But I think I came onto to it earlier because, um, because I was already growing up in it and because meditation is such a huge part of your spiritual practice anyway yes. in India. So yeah, uh, the one thing I'll tell you is that I never wanted to do is I have never wanted to be a psychologist or a therapist. I have... Zero interest in that because I find that by and large, the instinct to want to help other people comes from people who people say, well, if you're a therapist, you must be very damaged. Yeah, maybe. But one of the things about therapists that I've always found interesting is it's not always easy to have all that power and to not do with it things that are just about your own ego. hmm correct. So I've been like, I wanna run away from that, and I've never had any, my sister's a psychotherapist.
0: That's what um, psychotherapists have supervision for, so you talk to someone else to try and get yourself out of the way, but that is a huge issue. Oh
3: my God, oh my God.
0: So let's, let's move on to what you spoke about, spirituality, and uh, let me ask you the same question that I've asked every comedian. Uh, Sindhuvid, you believe in God? Very much so. Very much. Tell me about it.
3: Well, I'm a Hindu. Mm-hmm. So believing in God is, it's not really that difficult. You kind of just keep it in the background somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we don't really have a book. No one is smiting or smoting or whatever the word is. No, no, that hell, heaven stuff, you know. There's nowhere to go. It's all here. Mm-hmm. But um, let me put it in perspective. My parents are both uh, very much, well, they're, they're Hindus, but they're always there was always prayers at home and always going to the temple. and, But they were very liberal. So my, you know, my, they, 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 we don't eat meat. That's, that's the big no-no. But they drank and they, you know, they had parties. They were young, aspirational Indians. And, you know, by and large, there were a lot of people like them. Um, and the higher your education levels are, the more tolerant you tend to be. Mm-hmm. So they were both professionals and so on. So I grew up in that. However, my father is a South Indian, and South Indian Tamil Brahmins can be quite conservatively religious, and he wasn't. He read, and so everything we did at home, he was able to talk about and explain. They never stopped us from, and we weren't allowed to eat meat. One time I ate a hot dog. Uh, in California, I went to see my cousins, and I was so scared. And my cousins were my dad's <laughs> brothers' kids, but and yeah. my dad's brothers were like, "Oh, so we live in the naughty. states. Yeah. Oh, we live in the states. You can yeah. do whatever." And I was like, "Oh, I'm going to eat a hot dog." So my cousins ate hot dogs, and I ate a hot dog, and then I didn't tell anyone. Obviously, I told them not to. And then they sent photographs. We were in Disneyland, and my mother was like, "Is that a hot dog?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." What a thrashing I got! Oh my lord. She said, I would rather you were dead today from my hands than eating hard dog. <laughs> and I was like, well, if you keep going, that's going to happen. Anyway, that was, I never ate oh. meat again, never ate meat again. But my parents definitely very, very, not just religious, but very spiritual. And from a very young age, my grandmother lived with us and she was deeply religious. She wore white and she'd renounced the world. And four times a day, she'd be doing sannyas. prayers. Sanyas. Sanyas. That's only because she hated her husband. And if you wear white, and if you wear white in India, you're a widow. You're not six as well, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but she just, she hated my grandfather. So what she did, because Indian widows, Hindu widows wear white. Yeah. So she wore white to show that she wished she was dead
0: and then just stayed in white.
3: So, But there was always a lot of God, always a lot of prayers. And yeah. that's not unusual. Yeah. But what was unusual was that at, my parents believed it. They didn't put it in our face, but they believed it. And this, again, permeated my understanding. I was a weirdly religious child. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly in the sense that I wanted to have a practice every day. Something that I would sit and chant, and which is so odd. I mean, I think if one of my kids said that to me, I'd be like, are you sure? But my parents were like, yeah, fine. My mother was studying. My father was busy. They were like, yeah, fine, go. So they got me a big Ram iron. Mm-hmm. I did it and then it was done. No one cared, no one asked. I didn't know. I was just a thing. And then that stayed with me. And uh then when I just before I got into Oxford, I had a a, a year out, I was very unhappy. And I decided to leave the house and live in an ashram. I decided to renounce, take some mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> My parents were a little bit like this child oh my gosh uh why 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 can't she just go to the temple once a week like every other kid and that
0: would be renouncing sex renouncing family renouncing money and renouncing everything in favor of connection or yoga unification yeah and
3: i was gonna go live in the ashram and that was that and that is such a high calling for hindus that Mm. my parents couldn't say no yeah they were like better this than her my mother was like better this than a boyfriend (laughs) Mother hated the idea of boyfriends. I don't know. Uh, uh, She's like, you know. And I went and I lived in an ashram, not for my whole life, obviously, but because what happened is I got the scholarship to Oxford, and that Mm. was such a big deal that even that it was like not an option. It was like you need to go try that first. And so I have lived in an ashram, and I've thought about renouncing, and I have a guru.
0: Where was that? All in
3: that was all in India.
0: But in the Himalayas? or No, the, it's no? in
3: uh, just outside Bombay. Uh-huh, okay. And uh, even though I'm not going to talk about exactly who the guru is or anything like okay. that, I think what's important is I took on a very stringent spiritual path yeah. of practice. and uh, But then I came out of it, I went to Oxford, literally never thought about it again. I mean, I always had my guru in mind and wrote letters and stuff, but then just went off and did all these crazy fun Western things. Not even Western, just Indian regular human being, 21-year-old human sure. being things which were fine, but that was a kind of a backdrop for me, and it has always been. But it's very personal. It's very in me. And I think the great thing is my parents never said yes or no. They were like, whatever, because they have a lot of faith in God.
0: This is something that I have some experience of myself because I understand what darshan is. I, I was non-religious in my early 20s, and I, someone said, do you want to come listen to a swami? And I said, what's a swami, was my answer. But anyway, when I listened to the swami, I felt myself... To be in a position I, I just felt the room was infused with this sort of that's love that's and restlessness and I, I mean restfulness and quiet and stillness and but love mainly and that's i couldn't I couldn't resist it I couldn't, it. It. I couldn't it. not no, feel it there you go and so that then is, I understood this just being in a room with someone like this um, sometimes can be enough without them saying anything
3: absolutely and I think that's how often you find your guru and that's why some people do. And I don't even think having a guru is having a guru is such a bonus because it's a you have a teacher who sort of puts a finger on your chin and turns you inward. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of gurus. And let's be honest, one of the best shows on Netflix right now is Wild West Country. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. I watched it, yeah. Oh, 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 I love it, that. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> these are not, there's all kinds of gurus. But when yeah. I say, the word guru means remover of darkness mm-hmm. in Sanskrit. And I think a guru is a teacher. A guru could be your parent. It could be your school teacher. A guru is someone who makes you aware of your own Self yes. with a capital S. So in the Hindu tradition, this is the road to being spiritually aware: is to be aware of yourself, and that meditation and watch your breath and have a mantra and all that stuff comes from there. But the idea that there is a self, capital S self, that is not higher than you, but that is there, is a kind of a religious faith, mm. Do you know. And I don't know other religions. I definitely think the Sufis thought it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Rumi's Love Poems and, uh, you know, and Hafez, that, that's the same concept. Uh, I think St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. I think all that exists, but in Hinduism, it's kind of pushed out to the front. So I've and I've had a lot of experience of that. So yes, I believe in God. Do you much. think there
0: is a spiritual, the, a spiritual tradition in most religions that is the same? And that's what I think too. Those people that are adopt the yogis can talk to the Kabbalists, can talk to the people who study the Daodejing. That spiritual level, they they don't seem to have a problem talking to each other.
3: No, because I think mysticism mm-hmm. in every religion is about two things: one is love, mm-hmm. and the other that it's inside you. Mm. So, and then they dress that up in however the dervishes dance and the Hindus we chant.
0: And did you study the the? I I read. I mean, at that time because I was in my early twenties, and you know, if I if I got fanatical about something, if I was interested, I read Patanjali's sutras. Of I read the central text of the or the, the one that they tend to focus in the in the Mahabharata, the, the Bhagavad Gita. Gita. Yeah, sure. In fact, um, I often saw a, a a comparison. The idea of of um, Arjuna. And having Krishna as his charity, and going into this war situation, he doesn't know why should he fight. He recognizes people in the in the opposing yep. army, and it it, it's, it reminded me of Hamlet: is whether to fight and act or whether to be meditative and yes, accepting. and also the idea of right and wrong. Yes,
3: because I think in the Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna is going into war, it's about when people say, "What is Hindu morality?" I think in the Abrahamic religions, morality is very there is an objective. Rightness Correctness Mm -hmm. Whereas in Hinduism And you can see this very much In the Bhagavad Gita The idea of dharma Mm -hmm. Dharma is a morality That is very cognizant of context So for example You say A mother murders Somebody but she had a baby that might have been harmed. The morality of that is very different mm. than if she just murdered them. So dharma teaches you about morality, and I think that's what the Bhagavad Gita... is a big
0: wheel, a sort of a long, bigger picture. Context, yes. context, bigger context, context, context. Yes, intention exactly that, and context.
3: Yeah. Which, by the way, as a comedian, I'm always telling people a joke is only a bad joke or stereotyping or this or that if you don't know the context or the intention.
0: I'm. I love hearing this. I mean, and most of the comedians have said a straight no. By the way, to me asking, do you believe in God? The great majority of comedians. But when I was in India, I did feel that. It felt to me that it was normal, not necessarily a Hinduism or anything, but just a belief in 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 a cause and effect type God.
3: We are. We are very devoted country Mm
1: -hmm.
3: you know and I did everything I had Christmas I had Hanukkah I had Eid everyone was going to everyone's house because Mm. on Eid they had the better food and this Mm. and that but India is a very there's a lot of devotion and faith Mm. every time we go to a church because one of my friends is getting married or something my mother starts crying I said mommy why are you crying look at poor look at him he's also someone's son hanging from that cross i'm yeah. like oh my god for her it's a real thing and the faith and the motherhood and he was you know i mean she believes it mm. and i'm like oh are we going to go through this again mm. but you know and that's because when you have when your system is soft with devotion and faith and you have an open mind a lot of you feel love mm. it sounds so corny become more
0: a, porous. To you that. become
3: more porous to that, and I think empathy and love and mm. tolerance are all interconnected.
0: Did you ever get interested in Krishnamurti at all, Jay Krishnamurti? Did you do
3: Krishnamurti? A lot of my friends went to the school that he'd set up. Yes, uh, in
0: Brockwood Park in Hampshire, or in no, America. no, in India, in India. In India, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. three in 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 Oya, California, in Brockwood Park, and then in Cody, and in Hampshire, in India, yes. Yeah.
3: and yes. So uh, no, I didn't. My he was very he was highly intellectualized. Also, there's such a dense writing, and I get hmm. bored so easily. I was like, ah. And my father used to always say, oh, Krishna Krishnamurti, he is a hollow intellectual. <laughs> so you would just be like, okay, I'm not dealing with that, you know. But I should probably read him. But no, I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for her. I believe he wrote great things. I think one of the things you have to remember is that my mother and father, even though they have done we have done very well and they were very liberal, my mother comes from a very feudal, landlord-based family. Mm. So English and all for her. But also they, they had big connections with the British. So she was... She wanted to be harsh like the British, but her roots were, and they had that kind of money and so on in terms of the land, not in terms of cash. But her roots were very earthy Indian roots. So she can recite so many, so many dilemmas in my life have been solved because I've phoned my mother and she's recited a verse in Pali, which is a dialect from the Bhagavad Gita Mm. to show me that the point at which I'm at, this is what's going on. That's my mother. My father, meanwhile, very conservative. Hindus are great and and Abrahamic religions are immature and mm-hmm. blah, blah, all that stuff. But um, has read all the holy books.
0: Well, it's interesting because that, that shows a slight uh, difference of other religions. My feeling in India was they very tolerant of other religions. I spoke to some Cochin Jews who were yeah. living in Israel now, and they said... The feeling was that we had our God, but there were many gods were everywhere. Gods. And that yeah. just idea of having a God was just a completely normal uh, yeah. thing. Yeah.
3: I mean, I'd never met an atheist until I left India.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I can tell you most British comedians are
1: atheists. No, but that's fine. But, I, you know, they say, I
3: don't believe in God. I'm like, okay, fine, because I don't even... Like, then you're just talking about science, but I'm talking about faith. Every time you fall in love with a girl or boy, you have so much faith. That's the same concept.
0: Yes, Yes. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Just one, to last one, to. one last one, one last question. Do you have any tip for people? What would you say to be in good health, physical, spiritual, psychological, anything? Any one tip?
3: I don't know if it's a tip, but I, I believe that all health, uh, physical, spiritual, mental, is very closely related to the kind of inner dialogue you're having. I, I know it's very difficult if you have physical handicaps, and I can't speak for those people. Let me say I can speak for my, for, you know, if you're able. Um, but I think even I have some friends who have some physical handicaps, and they're actually much better at their inner dialogue. So I think what what's going on inside is extremely important to your health. And the one thing that I will say that really helps is if once a day you stop and you say this little mantra that I was taught, which is, Oh, my mind, think well of yourself and of others.
0: That's beautiful. I think Thank it really you. helps. Thank you so much. Mina. been an it's absolute pleasure. pleasure to talk to you.
2: Are You Feeling Funny is a Sniffer Nixon production. The comedy consultant is the legendary Arnold Brown. The series producers are Luke and Alan Nixon, with music from George Montague, audio recorded by Alex Hollingsworth, and the series editor was Luke Nixon. But more importantly, the back-breaking vocal work you are hearing now is done by me, Olivia Nixon. You can find loads more stuff from us to listen to and read at snippernixon.com.